The first reading is from Psalm 31. It says from the director of music, and it's a psalm of David's. In you, Lord, I have taken refuge. Let me never be put to shame. Deliver me in your righteousness. Turn your ear to me. Come quickly to my rescue. Be my rock of refuge, a strong fortress to save me. Since you are my rock and my fortress, for the sake of your name, lead and guide me. Keep me free from the trap that is set for me, for you are my refuge. Into your hands I commit my spirit, as Jesus quoted. Deliver me, Lord, my faithful God. I hate those who cling to worthless idols. As for me, I trust in the Lord. I will be glad and rejoice in your love, for you saw my affliction and knew the anguish of my soul. You have not given me into the hands of the enemy, but have set my feet in a spacious place. Be mercifully, be merciful to me, Lord, for I am in distress. My eyes grow weak with sorrow, my soul and body with grief. My life is consumed by anguish and my years by groaning. My strength fails because of my affliction and my bones grow weak. Because of all my enemies, I am the utter contempt of my neighbours and an object of dread to my closest friends. Those who see me on the street flee from me. I am forgotten as though I were dead. I have become like broken pottery, for I hear many whispering terror on every side. They conspire against me and plot to take my life. But I trust in you, Lord. I say you are my God. My times are in your hands. Deliver me from the hands of my enemies, from those who pursue me. Let your face shine on your servant. Save me in your unfailing love. Let me not be put to shame, Lord, for I have cried out to you. But let the wicked be put to shame and be silent in the realm of the dead. Let their lying lips be silenced, for with pride and contempt they speak arrogantly against the righteous. How abundant are the good things that you have stored up for those who fear you, that you bestow in the sight of all on those who take refuge in you. In the shelter of your presence you hide them from all human intrigues. You keep them safe in your dwelling from accusing tongues. Praise be to the Lord, for he showed me the wonders of his love. When I was in the city under siege, in my alarm I said, I am cut off from your sight. Yet you heard my cry for mercy when I called to you for help. Love the Lord, all his faithful people. The Lord preserves those who are true to him, but the proud he pays back in full. Be strong and take heart, all you who hope in the Lord. Our second reading today comes from the book of Mark. So let's turn to the Gospels, New Testament. Mark chapter 15, starting at verse 21. If you've got the large print Bibles, the black Bibles, it's on page 1586, 1586. You've got the smaller print Bibles. Good luck to you. Uh, 710. There you go. 710. Uh, very important passage. Mark chapter 15, starting at verse 21. 
<clears throat> a certain man from Cyrene, Simon, the father of Alexander and Rufus, was passing by on his way in from the country, and they forced him to carry the cross. They brought Jesus to the place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. Then they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. They crucified him. Dividing up, <clears throat> dividing up his clothes, they cast lots to see what each would get. It was nine in the morning when they crucified him. The written notice of the charge against him read, The King of the Jews. They crucified two rebels with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insult at him, shaking their heads and saying, So, you are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days. Come down from the cross. Save yourself. In the same way, the, teacher, the chief priests and the teachers of the law mocked him among themselves. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. Let this Messiah, this King of Israel, come down from the cross that we may see and believe. Those crucified with him also heaped insults on him. At noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. At three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, Laba Sabachthani, which means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing near this near heard this, they said, Listen, he's calling Elijah. Someone ran, filled a sponge with wine vinegar, put it on the staff, and offered it to Jesus to drink. Now, leave him alone. See, let's see if Elijah comes to take him down, he said. With a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus saw how he died, he said, Surely this man was the Son of God. This is the word of the Lord. Well, in a moment we're going to um, be looking at Psalm 31, so if you could open that up. Uh, as, you, as you came in, I think you were given an outline of the talk. Just out of interest, um, one of the things we're doing at Parish Council is doing a, an audit of our, um, our, our environmental use. Uh, and just interest, out of interest, how many people actually use and to take notes on the, on the notes that are given out each week? About eight or nine, okay. So that's just interesting to me just to, to know because we don't want to waste paper, obviously. If it's just going to be thrown out, um, there's no point in doing it. Anyway, let me pray and then we'll be looking at, we'll look at Psalm 31 together. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you that in it um, you reveal yourself to us. Father, I pray that you would do that again uh, this morning. Help me to speak truly and clearly. Uh, I pray that you help my voice to keep going. Uh, but Lord, we ask that, Father, as we come away from here, we would have a fresh understanding um, of you as our rock, as our refuge in times of trouble. For we ask it in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. Well, it's a new year. Um, I wonder how you're expecting this new year to go, how you're expecting 2019 to be. Um, you may have a really positive view of the year to come. You may be a bit uh, in a bit of fear of trepidation. Um, will it be a good one? Will it be a bad one? Uh, it's a little bit hard to know. Um, now, one thing that is for certain um, is that no matter how high our hopes or how high our expectations, uh, no matter how we feel about the year to come, one thing is for certain that it really won't go according to plan, <laughs> according to our plan at least anyway. Um, all of us at some time in the future, whether it's this year or certainly uh, in, the, in the years to come, will experience hardship. 
will go through difficulties. It's 100% certainty. All of us will go through difficult times. For some, it will be because of sickness or injury, um, physical uh, sickness or mental sickness. Um, it might be something to do with your job. Um, you might be unable to get a job or you might lose a job um, or you might have difficult relationships with your bosses or with your staff. Um, it might be family-related. Um, there might be a relationship breakdown, family breakdown. Um, there might be even grief. Or it might be through your relationships, uh, perhaps uh, the extended family, difficulties in the extended family. Uh, it might be because of loneliness uh, or arguments that you have with people that you know or even betrayal. However they come, difficult times will come for all of us at some point in the future or other. The question is, how will we respond? When they come, how will we respond? Will you be ready for them to come? One of the great things about the Bible, I think, <clears throat> is it doesn't uh, sugarcoat life. It doesn't say that when you become a Christian, when you follow God, everything's going to be happy. You can skip through life and everything will be lovely. You'll never have a problem ever again. No, the Bible writers are sure to remind us and to let us know that there will be times of difficulty. And in times of difficulty, as we prepare for times of difficulty, the Bible is a great place to go. The Bible writers knew what it was like to suffer. They knew what it was like to be in pain, um, to feel stress, to feel abandoned, to feel hated. Um, and David, of course, the writer of this psalm, is no exception. Um, and as, as we look at this psalm, as we look at Psalm 31, uh, I think there's some really helpful things in there to help us with our suffering before, they ha- before it happens, while it's happening, and after it's happened. Um, there are three things I think that we can, I can see in this psalm. There are many others probably, I'm sure. Uh, but there are three things I just want to think about briefly. The first one uh, well, is, is before. So as you read through the first eight verses of Psalm 31, it's pretty obvious that David's going through a hard time. You see it in verse 1, he um, says, Never let me be put to shame. Deliver me in your righteousness. In verse 2, he says, Turn your ear to me. Come quickly to my refuge. Uh, in verse, uh, verse 4, he says, Keep me from the trap that you set before me. And in verse 5, Deliver me, Lord. So obviously David is going through a hard time. He's experiencing difficulties. He's under stress. But equally obviously, David is able to trust God. And so Lauren read it at the beginning, but it's, it's worth reading again, isn't it, those first couple of verses. And I loved listening to Robin read it. She read it so beautifully. In you, Lord, I have taken refuge. Let me never be put to shame. Deliver me in your righteousness. Turn your ear to me. Come quickly to my rescue. Be my rock of refuge, a strong fortress to save me. Since you are my rock and my fortress, for the sake of your name, lead and guide me. Keep me free from the trap that you set me for me, for you are my refuge. Into your hands I commit my spirit. Deliver me, Lord, my faithful God. Over and over and over again, David talks about his trust for God. It's there again in verse 6. I trust in the Lord. Uh, he's going through difficulty, but he, he still trusts in God in the midst of it. So how is he able to do that? Is he some kind of superman? You know what it's like when you go through hard times? Sometimes It's hard to feel positive. It's hard to, to look with trust at what's going on. Sometimes we can get overwhelmed. Uh, but David doesn't do that. How is he able to do that? Uh, well, the reason he can trust God is because, in the end, God has shown himself to be trustworthy. David remembers the way God has cared for him. Look at verse 7 and verse 8. He says, I will be glad and rejoice in your love, for you saw my affliction 
and knew the anguish of my soul. You have not given me into the hands of the enemy, but I've set my feet in a spacious place. David is able to trust God in the hard times because God has been trustworthy in the hard times. God has been there for him in difficulty. As a Christian, it's always good to have a good memory, which is a bit of a problem for me because I've got a shocking memory. Um, But it's good to have a good memory and to allow that memory uh, to shape the way we think, particularly when it comes to difficulties. You see, before we get in times of difficulties, before hard times come, as they certainly will, we need to teach ourselves about God. We need to develop a worldview that sees that God, that reminds us that God is trustworthy. And so I wonder this morning if you can remember a time when God has been trustworthy. Just take a moment to think. Can you think of a time when God has shown himself to be trustworthy to you? When God has been there for you in the midst of difficulty? When God has brought you through hard times? Can you think about a time? I can see a few nods around the place. Let me encourage you if, you, if you can't think about it now, let me encourage you before the year kicks into full swing, to sit down and maybe even write down some of the ways that God has helped you in the past, God has cared for you in the past. Think of answers to your prayers. Think of ways he's brought you through difficulties, the things he's provided for you, the way he's carried through you through tough times. And even if you can't think of an example, think about the lengths he has gone to to, to uh, affect your salvation. Think about what, what God has done to show his love and care for you. I'll be with you always, even to the end of the age. Think of the promises that God has made, the way that he has promised to always be with you. When you bring all those things together, as you, as you mull over those things, as you meditate on those things, what kind of picture of God does that grow for you? What kind of picture of God develops? What is your understanding of God? Is he a God who will be there for you in the difficulties? Before the hardship comes, let me encourage you to keep reminding yourself of God's goodness, of his trustworthiness. That way, when hard times come, it'll be much easier to hold on. So David looks back and he remembers God's goodness. But just because he's able to say he trusts God in in hardship, it doesn't mean that he never struggles. Have a look at verse 9 to 13 and just listen to the cries of anguish that's here. Starting in verse 9. Be merciful to me, Lord, for I am in distress. My eyes grow weak with sorrow, my soul and body with grief. My life is consumed by anguish and my years by groaning. My strength fails because of my affliction, and my bones grow weak. Because of all my enemies, I am the utter contempt of my neighbours and am an object of dread to my closest friends. Those who see me on the street flee from me. I am forgotten as though I were dead. I have become like broken pottery. For I hear many whispering terror on every side. They conspire against me and plot to take my life. Can you feel the pain that's there? Can you feel how real it is for him? This is not a, oh yes, life is difficult, I know. No, this is a real anguish of the soul here. David is in 
deep, deep, deep distress. He's got mental anguish in verse 9. I'm in distress. I'm sorry. I've got grief. There's uh, physical anguish uh, in verse 10 as, as his bones grow weak. Um, there's the feeling of being abandoned and treated with contempt by his neighbours in verse 11 and 12. There's, he's slandered and people are even plotting to take away his life in verse 13. He moves from gloom in verse 9 to hopelessness in verse 12 and terror in verse 13. David is going through it. He's suffering. It's hard for him. It's important for us to realise that it's not unchristian or unbiblical to either experience or to express these kinds of emotions. Now, most of us, as I look around, come from a, uh, an Anglo-Saxon kind of background. We're not all from that background, but many of us have come from that kind of background. Uh, and one of the, the problems of that kind of background, uh, and particularly the Australian culture, I think, is that we're taught as we grow up not to express our emotions. You know, we, 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 when, somebody fall, when a child falls over and scrapes its knee, what do you say? You say, don't cry. Don't express that emotion. Don't let that out. Um, we're told to have a stiff upper lip. I don't know if you was taught as you grow up to, to be strong, to, to tough it through those kind of situations, not, not to allow life to get to you. But that is not a biblical picture. That is a, an Anglo-Saxon cultural picture. The Bible's picture of suffering is that we allow it to impact us. The Bible writers allow it to impact and they express it. They express their pain. It's not unchristian to feel these things. In fact, even Jesus, even Jesus wept bitterly for his friend who died. Even though he knew he was about to bring him back to life, Jesus weeps at the tomb of Lazarus. He weeps over Jerusalem when he sees the sin there. And on the night before he dies, He's just overwhelmed with anguish and sorrow. Jesus knew what it was to weep and to suffer and to express that. The Bible doesn't encourage us to sweep our feelings under the carpet. It actually prompts us to feel and express how we feel to God and to each other. It's not an, exp- it's not, it's not an expression of doubt to ask God why. Why are these things happening? In fact, it's, it's an appropriate expression of faith. To come to God and say, why? Because at least it shows that you recognise that God is the one to come to in the hard times. So don't be afraid to cry out to God in anguish, even to cry out, why does this? Why have you let this happen, God? That's what the Bible writers do, and that's what I think we are encouraged to do. That's what Jesus does on the cross. As Robin mentioned as she read through that passage, Jesus himself, at the very height of his suffering and desertion, As he does that, he's able to pray this prayer. Into your hands I commit your spirit. Jesus knew what it was to be abandoned and betrayed. He knew unspeakable suffering. And yet he's able to to give himself into God's hand, to entrust himself to God. As we do that, as we express ourselves to God, then we're able to experience the, the, the tower of strength that God can be in the midst of those difficulties. That's, what, that's exactly what David does. Notice how he, he expresses that pain. But having done that, it then leads him to trust in God. And so from verse 14, he says, But despite all that, I trust in you, Lord. 
I say, you are my God. My times are in your hands. Deliver me from the hands of the enemies, from those who pursue me. He knows his life. His times are not his own. He can't control it. God's in control of it. And so he entrusts himself to God. You are my God. I will trust you. So from verse, one of the things that's interesting from verse 14, well, from verse 9 to, to 13, it talks about the things that people are doing to him. There's anguish. There's, there's people who are rejecting him, who are trying to kill him. People are acting towards him. But from verse 14, it changes. He says, this, how will I respond? I will trust. You see, bad things will happen to everyone. It's, it's one of the certainties of life. The question is, how will we respond to them? Will we let them rule over us? Or will we let God show his rule over them and us? I've seen tragedy drive people to God and drive people away from God. It's not the tragedy itself that is to blame. It's how people respond. It's how we respond to God in the times of difficulty. That's why it's so important for us to think beforehand how we will react, to prepare ourselves for when the difficulties come so that when we're in the midst of them, we'll be able to bring them to God and experience his trustworthiness. Can we trust that he will be our rock and our refuge? Yes, we can. We've seen it. We've heard it. How will we respond? We have a choice to lean on God or to push away from him. Ultimately, of course, we rely on God to hold us close and he promises that he will, so we can trust him even with that. But it's important, I think, for us to think about how we will respond in advance. So having done that, he's expressed his pain, he's expressed his trust in God, and then something incredible happens um, in verse 19 and 20. <clears throat> he then starts to praise God. How, <clears throat> how abundant are the good things that you have stored up for those who fear you? that you bestow in the sight of all on those who take refuge in you. In the shelter of your presence, you hide them from all intrigues. You keep them safe in your dwelling from accusing tongues. He talks, he says to God how great you are, how trustworthy you are, how praiseworthy you are. So he moves from that expression of, of pain to the expression of trust to then expression of praise. That's where he moves. Um, it's, one of the things I love about this time of year is having the two services together, the 8.30 and the 10. Uh, I've been uh, part of this church for 15 years now, and one of my joys is ministering to the older people in our, in our church. And one of the reasons it's such a joy is because they get this. They understand this. So many times I've spoken with people in the midst of difficulty, in the midst of pain, um, who have said, yes, this is difficult, but God is with me. God is trustworthy. God will carry me through. Uh, as I speak with older Christians, they, they express this trust. They acknowledge God's goodness. They praise him, not in a happy, clappy, yeah, everything's wonderful kind of a way, but in a deep-seated, giving God the glory he deserves kind of a way. It's the same secret that Paul, of course, learned in Philippians 4 when he says, I've learned the secret of being content in all circumstances, whether in, uh, whether in, in plenty or in need, whether in pain or in, uh, in peace. I've learnt what it means, means to trust God, uh, to be content in all circumstances. That's what suffering can do for us. It can actually strengthen our faith in God as we trust, on him, trust in him more. So 
before we suffer, it's important for us to look back and remember what God has done, to remind ourselves, to build up that, um, that foundation of trusting God. During suffering, it's important for us to express how we feel, not to run from it, not to hide from it, but to express it to God and even to others, to then move from there, if we can, to, to a point of being in trust with God. If we find that difficult, we can, you might want to join with the man who said to Jesus, you know, I believe, help me in my unbelief. I know I should trust you, God, but I'm just finding it so hard. Even that in itself is an expression of trust. And then finally to move to praise. So what about after? What about after? Is there something else that we should be doing? There's one more piece of advice at the very end of this psalm. Verse 23 and verse 24. Love the Lord, all his faithful people. The Lord preserves those who are true to him, but the proud he pays back in full. Be strong, take heart, all you who hope in the Lord. Notice what he does. David prepares himself in the midst of suffering, he cries to God. And when he's come out the other side, when he's seen God's salvation, what does he do? What does he do there? Anyone see it in those two verses? He tells other people. He calls other people of the people of God together. He says, guys, remember, look at what God has done. Trust in God. You can believe me. I've been through it. I've seen his trustworthiness. You see, when Jesus saved us, he saved us not to be individuals. Again, one of the problems with our Western culture is it's a very individualistic culture. And so we, uh, we think of, our, of, of my faith as my faith and where, I wa- and where I'm walking with God. And it's all about how close I'm feeling to God and all of that. But again, part of that is coming out of our own, it's our cultural experience, not a biblical one, that we're actually not saved just to be individuals, we're saved to be part of the family of God, which has great blessings, but also has great responsibilities, that we are are responsible for each other. There are almost 50 times in the New Testament where the one another phrase is used, love one another, bear with one another, forgive one another, Uh, all those kind of things. Because it's reminding us that our focus should not be on ourselves, but on each other. And it's even that way with suffering. God calls us to use our suffering to encourage others. If you've been through something hard, if, you've, if God, has, shared that, has, God has lifted you up, share that with someone. Share how God, not to big note yourself, but to big note God. God's the hero here. Because not only has it helped you, it can help others. Your experience can help others. I'm going to give you a chance to do that in a moment. But before we do, just to finish off, a reminder. Um, I don't want to be a downer this morning uh, to remind you that hard times will come. But I, but I, I do want to remind you that, that difficulties will come to us. We know that, don't we? I, also, I want us to be prepared for that. So I want to encourage you, as this year kicks off, to look back and to remember Remember what God has done. That's one of the things you might use, that sheet that you've been given. Ask the beginning how many people use it, not many. Uh, you might use it to remind yourself, make it write a list on it. What has God done for you? How has God helped you? If you're in pain now, and there may well be people here who are suffering now, let me encourage you, don't be afraid to cry out to God. Don't be afraid to cry out to your brothers and sisters in Christ. Come to us. That's one of the reasons why we're here that we might express to each other, that we might hold each other, we might carry each other through the hard times. 
God's shoulders are big enough for us to cry on, for us to rail against. His love is strong enough for us to rely on. But if, you've, if you're someone who has been rescued, who has, been, who has experienced God's faithfulness, let me encourage you to praise him, give him to give him honour that he deserves. And I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that with each other. David finishes off this psalm by sharing with us or in, exhorting people to trust God. He's been through the mill and now he calls others to, to keep trusting in God because of what he's experienced. I'm going to give you a few moments before I pray just to turn to the people around you, uh, maybe the people behind you or in front of you or whatever it might be, um, if you can find someone to talk to, um, just to talk with them and, and hear from them, share with each other, has God, have you experienced God's goodness? Have you experienced God's, uh, God's help? He's experienced his trustworthiness. Share it with each other. When we came to church this morning, we came to be together, um, to meet together. And so I know it can be a bit uncomfortable doing that. I don't know if anyone found that a little bit uncomfortable to talk to people maybe you don't know too well. Uh, well, that's one of the reasons we come. We come to do this, to, to encourage each other. And I hope you, you can be encouraged. And, and let, me, uh, let me exhort you maybe after the service while you're moving chairs or doing wash out perhaps to talk to each other. What's something that... Um, was something that's the God, one way that God has helped you. God has, has supported you. Uh, but uh, before we do that, I'm going to pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we do thank you. We praise you because you are trustworthy. Uh, you are with us in good times and in bad times. Lord, we know the difficulties we've come. That's part of being in our world. Father, we pray that you would help us in the midst of those times to always turn to you. We thank you that we can come and express how we really feel to you. And know that you won't abandon us, you won't leave us just because we feel bad or, or sad or, or lonely or whatever. Father, we thank you that, that you, you can be trusted. And so as we go into this year, knowing that bad times will come, we, pray, we don't go ahead nervously. Uh, we go ahead in trust of you, knowing that you will do what is best and that you will care for us. Uh, we pray, Lord, that you would help us to care for each other. We thank you for this family the St Peter's family, and we pray, Lord, that you might help each of us to care for and encourage each other as we, as we live our lives together. For we ask it in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen.